glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Genesis 37, beginning verse 1. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Billah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed, for behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf, And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I've dreamed a dream more. Behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him. And said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. I just want to read enough to get us into the message tonight. Uh, the Bible, as far as I can tell here, doesn't specifically say at this point that the Lord gave Joseph this dream, but we know he did because later these dreams were fulfilled in his life. I believe the sheaf of grain because Joseph would one day be responsible for feeding his family as a ruler. I believe a star because he was a light that revealed things and uh, they, they, God gave light through him and all those kind of things. There's symbolism there, no doubt, as you read through the whole story. But we start with Joseph getting a glimpse of God speaking to him. Just like in the Garden of Eden, God spoke first. God spoke to Adam first and said not to eat of this tree. And then Satan came and countered what God said. Right? So here, in Joseph's life, we find that Joseph, when we come to him, he's a man of faith. He believes what God says to him. You see that revealed in how he conducts himself. He's obedient to his dad, honors his dad. He's got a heart that loves God. You see that throughout the entire story. We'll get to a point on his virtue. But we start with God speaking to Joseph through a dream. Now, that is not... Uh, God's primary way of speaking to anybody. There's a few people in the Bible, Joseph in the New Testament. God spoke to him through dreams. But likely God's not going to speak to you through a dream because you have a Bible. Amen? God speaks to you through your Bible, but Joseph did not have a Bible. And God spoke to him through a dream. And what was communicated in that vision is that God is laying before Joseph that he has a great purpose and plan for Joseph's life. I don't believe Joseph understood all of that at the time. If he did, there were other things that he... It doesn't seem that he understood the full meaning of that. I believe everybody there knew what that general interpretation was. Someday you think you're going to rule over us and we're going to bow down to you. Ha! Well, we all know the rest of the story, or most of us should. We know that would happen one day. But there was a huge gap of time between when Joseph was spoken to by God and what God told Joseph in a dream became reality. 22 years between the dream and the reality. 
How many of you would like to wait 22 years to get a promise fulfilled? How many of us would think, um, I'll pick on me for just a minute. I owe Adeline a milkshake, don't I? All right, everybody else is paid off in full. In our house, we do a little competition. If you're the first person in the spring to see a bluebird, my mom started this tradition back years ago with robins in Indiana. But here, the robins hang around so much, you don't have a first robin hardly ever. But bluebirds, they don't show up to the springs. You get the first bluebird, you get a milkshake. So I owe Adeline a milkshake, but I promise you we haven't waited 22 years. What if we went and Adeline is, you know, she's 31, and she says, Dad, I'm going to get that milkshake. At some point in time, she'd probably think, Dad, you're a liar, right? You see, we're prone to do that with God. The problem is God is not working on the same schedule that we are. And listen to me. If you're young, this is a great temptation for you. I believe the number one lie that Satan runs past young people about serving God is this. It isn't worth it to serve God. There's too much to lose to give your life to obedience to God. And when you serve God, there are certain consequences that make it not worthwhile. Uh, You can sin and get the enjoyment of that right now. You serve God, you may not get to enjoy that till heaven. Huh? You with me? And so often we're impulsive and we take the wrong option. We make our decision based on momentary pleasure. The song talked about that a minute ago instead of what's going to count for all eternity. But we find in Joseph, this is something I really want to encourage you with, because there's also a lie that if you're young, chances are you're not going to be serious about serving God. That's a lie as well. I understand by laws of probability that may be true, but may I say this? Is it necessary that the majority of young people in this room would say, you know what, I'm just going to go serve the world? I mean, is that necessary? Or could you decide... Could 100% of you be wise in your decision-making? I didn't ask if probability told the truth. You have that option. Now, that's up to you. But what I want to do is use Joseph tonight. He's 17 years old. Some of you in this room are older than that. Some of you are just younger than that. Some of you are right at that. We have some 17-year-olds. We have some younger than that. We have some 18-year-olds, 20-year-olds, and younger all together. My point is this. 17 kind of represents a lot of you in this room, at least your general age bracket, at a point where you have, perhaps from the Word of God, you've gotten a glimpse. Listen to me now. Some of you, we have a number of you young men that have indicated, I believe God has called me either specifically into missions or into being in the ministry in some way, shape, or form. Some of the call seems to be more specific than others. You know what you've gotten? You've got a glimpse of what God can do with your life a vision that is created by the Word of God. Dawson testified last night how the Lord was using, I believe it was Luke's gospel, talking about the need for laborers. Hunter mentioned tonight the Great Commission. I understand God uses many of these same texts, but you know what it does? It stirs in your heart a glimpse, a vision of how God, He has a purpose and a plan for your life. But at this point, you know what it is? It's a vision. Hunter, are you in Japan yet? It's a vision. Let me say something. As God stirs that in your heart through his word, there's already some other voices prepared to tell you you can't trust what God is telling you. That that vision is nothing more than some foolish dream of your youth. Honestly, some hick from North Idaho transplanted from New Jersey is going to go to Japan and preach the gospel? Are you kidding me? Eh? Did you just call him a hick? I did. It's true, isn't it? I'm right there with you, all right? 
My point is this. My point is this. God in your youth, I believe, begins to stir your heart for the plans He has for your life. But may I say this? God can have a purpose and plan for your life, but that doesn't mean you're going to fulfill it. You have to make the right choices. God will not force you to do what He wants you to do. Is it true? God, how many of us believe that God would rather have had Demas stay in the ministry than forsake it? But that was Demas' choice. Forsaking is a choice. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. So Joseph had a vision. The source of that vision was God. That dream came from God. The significance of that vision was God literally had a purpose and a plan for Joseph's life. Someone say, you can't undo the plan of God for your life or God isn't sovereign. Really? If God is sovereign, I think he can design the world in such a way that we can choose. Wouldn't you guess so? I don't think Joshua said to the children of Israel, choose you this day whom you can serve, who you will serve. Just kidding. Well, God will make your choice for you. Honestly? No, no. We have to make choices. So Joseph has a vision, but immediately, listen closely, immediately in Genesis chapter 37, no sooner do you have the vision coming and the voices of opposition come. So Joseph has a vision, but he also has some voices. Remember last night in the garden, Satan used the serpent to communicate. By the time we get to Genesis 37, Satan's got a lot more people working for him than a serpent in the garden. He's got a serpent by the uh, Potiphar's wife. It's a serpent. Joseph's brethren are being used like the serpent. Satan has all kinds of instruments that he plays. And every one of them is to say, you can't trust what God has told you. You cannot trust what God has told you. So Joseph had a vision, but Joseph had some voices. Number one, he had the voice of the animosity of his brethren toward him. Joseph comes and he's excited and we can, I have been somewhat critical. Why does he go tell his brethren his vision? Until I preached this series last time, I thought, I'll tell you why. Because God told him something and he wanted to tell others what God told him. Someone would say, well, he should have been smart enough to keep his mouth shut. Maybe so, but you know what he's doing? He is repeating what God's telling him. And if they had loved God, you know what they would have said? Wonderful, Joseph. We're so glad God's doing a work in your life. But because they hated God, they envied Joseph. And so the animosity of Joseph's brethren were the first, it was the first thing in his life to discourage him from the will of God being fulfilled. You know what? I wonder if Joseph, I wonder if he thought this. I mean, when God works in your heart and you're sure that God is, is carrying out and moving you and has a plan for how to use your life in accordance with his grand plan, God was going to use Joseph in, in, in accordance with his scheme for the entire world. And Joseph got to have a part in that. And when God is beginning to do a work in your heart, and you realize God actually wants to use me. God has a plan for my life and a purpose. It gets exciting. And what you expect is you'll tell people that you love, this is what I think God is doing. And you expect to hear, oh, that's great. But instead, you know what he heard? Oh, you foolish dreamer. You think you're better than us? Now listen, one of the first voices to discourage you from serving the Lord, I'll just put this in general. Joseph's brethren were family members, but they were also his generation. Some of them older, none of them younger. But his own generation, they all had the same dad, right? So they're all in generally the same generation. You're going to serve God. Don't expect a lost world to get excited about you serving God. If you say, I want to run for president, they might get excited. You say, I want to have a career in this, and I say, oh, cool, good luck to you. 
You know what? Here's my ambition in life. I want to serve Jesus Christ. You tell me outside of your church family who's going to be excited for you. The animosity of unbelievers is a voice to say, it might not be worth it to let God have his way in your life. The animosity of others who say, we're not, <laughs> what do you think? I mean, who do you think you are? You self-righteous snob. You think God talks to you and not to us? You hear the voice of animosity from his brethren, and the same is true for you. We call it peer pressure, right? And you might think that in a church where the Bible's preached and taught that children who attend that church don't have any kind of negative peer pressure, you shouldn't have any from inside the church house. Amen? Shouldn't. And if anyone's ever given a shame on them, but you are going to have it. You're out in a lost world, and they're not going to have values that you have. And so the animosity of his brethren was a voice that said, God, God's not going to do what you say. We don't believe it. Number two, you get into Genesis chapter 38, another voice enters his life. So he deals with the animosity of his brethren. We're not going to take time to read all that. All of you in this room are familiar enough with the story to know what happened. The animosity of his brethren toward him turned into action, did it not? Now, why don't you put yourself in Joseph's shoes? He comes out and tells his brothers, guys, I had a dream last night. This is the most amazing thing. And they knew what he meant. God's speaking to me, right? He said, my sheep was standing and yours all bowed down. They look at him like, what, what is your problem? So they hate him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And then he has another dream. And he comes and tells them. And then one day they see him coming through the field. They're, Joseph's dad said, go check on your brothers. He didn't trust them. Remember, he didn't trust them. Go check on your brothers. See where they're at. They weren't where they were supposed to be. They were not. And then when Joseph finally found them, they said, there comes that dreamer. You can read it in Genesis 37 uh, and the rest of the chapter, verse 4, verse 8, verse 11, verses 12 through 36, record what his brothers did to him. First, they intended to kill him. Then they said, no, no, better than that. We get no profit if we kill him. Throw him in a pit and we'll sell him as a slave. Then we're not guilty of murder and we're rid of his anguish. You know what they were doing in their life? They were silencing a voice. Were they not? God willing, tomorrow night we're going to look at Herod. Herod had a voice in his life. You know what he did? He cut his head off. You know what Joseph's brethren were doing? When you are a voice, listen to me now, when you're a voice for God, there are people that would rather put you in a pit. They don't want to hear from God. They don't want to, and that can be very discouraging. You know God is wanting to use you. You would expect the world to say, wonderful, finally someone that God has sent. No, 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 no. You're a voice of reproof. They want to put you in a pit. Now, you put yourself in Joseph's shoes. You've lost your nice coat. Your brothers threw you in a pit, and you connect that to your dream. You mathematicians, how do you reconcile being thrown down into a pit? Who's down and who's up when he's in the pit? Does that even look like his dream? In his dream, the sheep is up and they're down. In life, reality, he's down and they're up. Stay with me tonight. You're going to say, oh, I believe God wants me to serve him. And you're going to start serving God and trying to do what's right and staying in church and staying in your Bible. And all of a sudden, people that are doing right are doing better and you're being ridiculed. You say, I thought it worked together to serve God for good. I'm being ridiculed. You may start having to pay a price for it. You may not, you may not get a promotion in the workplace. You, you may have friends that won't talk to you anymore. You may whatever... As Joseph is in that pit, that is the complete opposite of what God had told him in a dream. So number one, the voice of the animosity of other people toward him was a voice that said what God told you isn't true. Number two in Genesis 38, and again, I'm going to reference these stories because you are so familiar. Most in here tonight, if not all, are so familiar with this. We'll reference certain verses. But in Genesis 38, you know he got sold to be a slave in Egypt. 
Once he gets into Egypt, he's sold to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar gets him in the house. He starts working because Joseph is a godly young man. Everything he touches succeeds. He's a hard worker. Next thing you know, Potiphar has entrusted everything to Joseph. He's running Potiphar's house. Now there's a different voice. It's not the animosity of his brethren. In fact, he's finally in a place where he's more liked than he's ever been. Potiphar, how many, how many get the idea? Potiphar liked Joseph. And so good, he's safe. Whew, no more animosity. They actually like me here. You know, I wonder if Joseph began to say, man, I am glad my brothers sold me. At least here, no one's mocking me every day. Potiphar actually likes me. He thinks that I do well. You know what? They may have done me a favor. I don't have to listen to them making fun of me every day. And all of a sudden, life is better. And one day, Joseph hears a voice. Joseph, come here. Now we have a different voice in his life. The allurement of sin. There's a woman that says, Joseph, you are the sweetest thing I've ever met. Joseph, and you know the story. She tried to seduce him into horrid sin. Said, you come and treat me like you're... I'm your wife when she was the wife of another man and she tried to draw him into sin. May I say, at this point, what looks more appealing, to wait on God's plan for your life or take the momentary pleasure? The allurement of sin is a cheap trade-off for God's will in your life. It's a cheap trade-off to say, you know what? There are some things that are so enjoyable and fun and pleasurable and sin will come after you. Why was this woman in his life to tempt him to sin? Satan trying to shipwreck and uh, Joseph's life so that God's will is not fulfilled. And in your life, you may have animosity, but that animosity may shift from the world saying, no, no, we don't want to throw you in a pit. We want you to join us in our sin. You come sin like us. Come sin with us. And so the allurement of sin was something to say, you know what? You don't have to wait for God to exalt you to the throne. You can have your enjoyment now. And you know what Joseph did. He turned it down. Genesis 38, the Bible gives us this account. It says in verse 1, it came to pass at that time. Excuse me, Genesis 39. I'm sorry, Genesis 39. And Joseph was brought down. He's not going up. He's still going down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Skip on down. Verse 7, it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There's none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. He was saying, no, I will not listen to your voice. And listen, for every one of you, there's going to be animosity from unbelievers, but there's also going to be allurement from unbelievers. Those that say, no, no, we're not against you. We like you. Come join us. My son of sinners entice thee. Don't consent too much. That's the way we think, isn't it? Well, if I don't consent too much. No, the Bible says consent thou not. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 10. So the allurement of sin, that's another voice that says, you know what? It's better to have your pleasure of sin now than to have to wait 
on God. Joseph, what did God do for you? He promised you in a dream that you would stand and your brothers would bow. What happened? You got thrown in a pit and they're back home acting like everything's fine. You got sent down to Egypt away from your family and your friends. They're not. How's God treated you? You might as well sin with this woman. What has God done for you? You listen to me. Every one of you had processes of thoughts like this or you're not breathing. If I listen to God and I have, how did it work out? That didn't work out. I might as well sin because serving God's not working out too well. Hmm? You think that thought passed through Joseph's mind? But you know what? Joseph made a choice. Was he going to listen to the voice behind that vision? Or was he going to listen to that voice behind that temptation? One said, pleasure now. The other said, in my time. Not pleasure, but fruitfulness and something that will last for eternity. And so Joseph had the voice of animosity from his brethren, the voice of allurement from sin. It's amazing. The same one that allures you in a moment of time will turn on you and accuse you. You know what? What changed Potiphar's wife's disposition toward Joseph? He told her no. He told her no. He didn't give her You know what changed? You know what? You can go uh, out in the lost world, young people. You can go and make all the claims you want to that you love God. But the moment they realize you're not going to be conformed to them, their attitude toward you will change. And that's what happened with her. Now there's a third voice in his life. There was the voice of animosity, the voice of allurement. Then came the voice of accusation. Genesis chapter 39 Verse 11, the Bible says, And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she called him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in a Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me. And I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. She laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass as I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled out. You can just hear it, can't you? Who is saying they are the noble, righteous one here? Potiphar, I was just trying to be a true and faithful wife and that bad man you brought in here. It amazes me today how a lost world who chases sin hard treats God's people like we're wicked. I've shared with you the story, many of you, uh, a couple weeks ago, a week and a half ago, going trying to hand out flyers for this revival. And there's a man that looks like he could belong to a motorcycle gang. He's a rough-looking guy accusing us of trying to come in and do harm to his children. This is a man that wasn't coherent enough to answer the door two weeks ago when Jeff and I knocked on it. You know what he's doing? I am the righteous defender of my children. You bad church people. <laughs> Listen, is that, is that, oh, how horrible. It's to be expected. It's to be expected. You know what? What is the purpose of that? You know what? That man's reaction a couple weeks ago. I talked to him and Jeff about it in depth. You know what the purpose behind that was? To intimidate and say, don't you ever come back here again. To say, it's not worth it to serve God. You've got to try to help people. You try to do what's right. You put yourself in Joseph's shoes. You have just make, you've made the stand of your life. You have just said no to the greatest temptation you've probably ever faced. And what do you get for it? Another demotion. Potiphar comes home. She says, that man tried to hurt me. 
Uh, Dad preached this a couple years ago, a few years ago, on a series on integrity. I believe it's so accurate. I personally believe Potiphar knew he wasn't guilty, but his hands were tied. What can he do? Tell his wife you're a liar? I think he knew how that would turn out. (laughs) I think Potiphar wanted to keep his own position, probably. And so he puts Joseph in prison, it seems to me, under his own house. He was in the house of the captain of the guard in the basement, basically. Now, God had told Joseph he was going to do what with Joseph? Exalt him or demote him? Thus far, since God spoke to Joseph and gave him a vision that I'm going to lift you up and your brethren are going to bow to you, he's been in a pit, which is down. He has been in a prison now, which is down. He went to Egypt, which is south. What direction has he taken since God said you're going to go up? Down, down, down. Does that make any sense? Except in God's economy, the way up is down. God can't use us until we're dead of ourselves. God can't use us until we realize that it's His plan, it's His purpose, it's done by His power in His time. And God was working a process in Joseph. How did Joseph stay true? One decision at a time. He said, I'm not going to listen to the voice of animosity from my brethren. I still believe God. I'm not going to listen to the voice of allurement by that wicked woman. How do we know he believed God there? He said, how can I do this and sin against my God? He said, my God told me not to do what you are telling me to do. He did the opposite of Eve. Eve was told, try the fruit. Doesn't it look good? And she said, sure does. And she took a big old bite. Potiphar's wife said to Joseph, don't you think it would be a good time to come with me? And he says, it doesn't matter. God said, no, I believe God, not you. One decision at a time. Now he's under the voice of accusation. He's been accused of the very thing she's guilty of. It's a good time to get bitter. It's a good time to say, wicked woman. Ain't nobody worth trusting in this world. Hmm? But when Joseph gets in prison, what does he do? He serves. The Bible tells us at the end of Genesis 39, verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. The keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. You find Joseph obviously kept his attitude right because the Lord's still with him and still using him. So he had the voice of animosity, the voice of allurement and the sin, the voice of the accusation of the wicked. He had been accused by his brethren. He had been accused by this woman. Then he has another voice that can be very discouraging. It's the voice of apathy, the voice of apathy from those we serve. Those that we serve many times discount what we've done for them, go on and take the blessings and forget who served. Many times you serve people and you think, God's going to use this service to bless them and to bless me. And here's what happens in Joseph's life, Genesis chapter 40. It says in verse 20, And it came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants, and he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again, and he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Look at verse 23. Yet, this is Genesis 40, Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. And for two more years, Joseph sits in prison because one man didn't care enough to remember who had helped him. Now, I want to tell you something. Many of you may not yet have experienced the last two voices here yet. 
I'm certain most of you have experienced some animosity from somebody who doesn't love God. You've seen it. You've seen their despite for righteousness and truth. You've probably, I know you've experienced allurement by sin and living an immediate life of, of, of pleasure in sin is, is often far more appealing than waiting on God. But being accused of doing wrong when you've done right can be very discouraging in serving God. Something else that can discourage you is you serve God and those you're serving don't seem to care. They don't seem to care. Joseph had interpreted correctly for the butler and the baker, this is what's going to happen. God's going to get, the, the, the Pharaoh's going to let you out of prison, Mr. Butler. Mr. Baker, you're going to be hanged. And sure enough, happened just like Joseph said. And Joseph had even asked the butler, when you're out, remember me, mention me. Now, I say apathy because you know what? The butler didn't care enough to remember. It didn't matter to him. He's out. Things are good for him. He's not even thinking about anybody else. He's out. And what can happen is that can say to you, why even serve others if there's no benefit in doing it? Why serve others? Got a question. Why did Joseph not get discouraged and quit serving God after being thrown in a pit? Because he believed the voice of God. God had showed him through a dream, I'm going to use you. I'm going to exalt you. I'm going to make you fruitful. I'm going to make you a blessing to your family. They're going to bow to you. Why did he not yield to Pharaoh's wife, Potiphar's wife? Because God told him not to. By the way, he didn't tell him in the page of the Bible. He just told him in the conscience. He didn't have a Bible. But Joseph knew. God said, don't do that. Why does he not quit serving here? Because the Lord was with him. And the Lord is using him. And so then my point is this. You've got a choice. You're going to listen to the voice of God that calls you to serve him. Listen, when we do what's right because it pleases God, then when people accuse you and people forget about you and people don't care, it doesn't change because you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for him. So the voices in Joseph's life, he's got the voice of God. That gave him his vision. He's got the voice of animosity and allurement to sin and accusation, apathy, people who don't even care enough to remember. But in all of this, we see Joseph's virtue. Joseph's virtue. What is virtue? Somebody remind me of a simple definition of virtue. It's a great definition. Doing what's right when no one's watching. Doing what's right... Because it's right. I'm going to do what's right because it is right in the sight of God. I'm not going to do what's right because I can see it'll work out in my circumstances. I'm not going to do what's right because I'll be noticed. I'm not going to do what's right because it'll promote me. I'm going to do what's right because I love God and I want to please Him. And it requires faith to have virtue. You must have faith first. Add to your faith virtue. You'll never end up with being used by God like Joseph if you don't add virtue to your faith. We're going to serve the Lord. Look at here. How many people we had um, fall in repentance and get saved out giving the gospel in the last 30 days? Last 60 days? Last 90? Then why do we still do it? Why give a track? Why give a John Romans? Why go knock on a door? Why witness to your neighbor? If they're not going to get saved in there, why? Because the Lord said to. It's still right. Why pray? If you're not seeing answers to your prayer, why pray? Why when you pray, and it seems like the answers are opposite of what you prayed, why pray? Because he wants us to pray. 
Why resist temptation when you can have momentary pleasure? And if you don't give in, what are you going to miss? Because it pleases the one who died for us. Joseph's virtue is this. He lived a life dependent upon the Lord. You see that demonstrated in Genesis 37, 5 through 11, when he shares and gives his vision. He explains uh, what the Lord has done in his heart. Psalm 116, verse 10. Let me read you very quickly, and we need to wrap up shortly. But Psalm 116 Verse 10, I I say Joseph lived in dependence upon the Lord because I believe he spoke what he believed to be true. He spoke what God had spoken to him. Psalm 116, verse 10, whether he's speaking to his brethren and telling them the visions he's having, the dreams, or he is speaking to Potiphar's wife saying, it's not right for me to commit this sin with you and sin against my God. That's in Genesis, uh, I believe, uh, verse chapter 39, verse 8 and 9. Uh, Psalm 116, 10 says, I believed... Therefore have I spoken, what's the next say? I was greatly afflicted. He said, because I believed, I spoke what God said, and the result was I was afflicted for speaking up and giving what God said, but that's how we see Joseph lived a life of dependence upon the Lord. He did not trust his impulses. He didn't trust uh, his, his, his natural reasoning. He trusted what God said. God had given him a vision what he was going to do with his life. God had given him instruction how to live his life. And Joseph trusted God over all the other voices. That led to Joseph's decisions. And what happened is because Joseph believed God's commandments for his life were right when he had to choose between listening to Potiphar's wife or listening to God. You know as well as I do who he listened to. May I say this and listen to me closely. Every sinful decision is a decision of unbelief. Every. Because when we yield to sin, we believe the impulses of our flesh more than we believe the Holy Spirit of God. This I say then, Galatians 5.16, Walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Therefore, if I'm fulfilling the lust of the flesh, what am I not doing? Walking in the Spirit. What I'm saying is, God, your will for my life is not best in this moment. We may not consciously think that, but that's what we're saying. Joseph had consciously made a decision. I have an opportunity to commit a sin, but instead I'm going to trust God and do what he told me to do instead. That's his virtue. He made decisions by faith in God's word, not faith in his emotions, not faith in his impulses, not faith in those who are alluring him to sin, faith in God. He lived a life of dependence upon God. He made decisions out of that dependence, and that resulted in a life of devotion to God. One decision of faith after another gives us a picture of a man devoted to God. That's how you live a life devoted to God. When you're tempted to make a decision that is in opposition to what you know God has told you to do, you say, nope, I'm going to take God's side and I'll do what he wants. Now, Joseph could not be what we call today pragmatic. I'm going to decide to serve God and look how (laughs) the health health and welfare gospel didn't work for him. I'm going to do what's right and everything will just turn out flowery all of a sudden. No. Some would say, oh, yeah, I did later. Look, he became Pharaoh. Yeah. Well, the Lord Jesus did everything right and he got crucified. Right? My my point is this. Joseph did what he did because it's right in the sight of God and he trusted God. And as a result, we come to our final point and that's his vindication. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good. To who? Them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. Again, I want you to take a lot of snapshots. 22 years in Joseph's life. For 22 years, it looked like the voices that didn't believe God were right 
and God's voice was wrong. Listen closely. We are living in a time where it looks like people who believe the Bible are the fools. The world makes it look that way. Circumstances can make it look that way. But still not true. God's word is still true. No matter how it feels, no matter how it looks, standing truth. Let me I say this. I'm not trying to be a discouraging voice. I'm trying to be a faithful one. Right now, the churches that are holding faithful to the Bible are not growing by leaps and bounds. They're shrinking. Is that, would you agree with that, Dad? Their numbers are shrinking. So we must be doing something wrong. Well, if we're doing something wrong, God's word will tell us and we'll correct. But you don't measure whether what you're doing right by how it's turning out. You measure whether you're doing right by whether it lines up with God's word. And if it lines up with God's word, it'll turn out right in the end. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. You know what God's doing in your life right now? Bottomsbury Baptist Church, I believe God's testing the faith of this church. Do we really believe that God's way is the right way or are we willing to compromise to get some different results? I believe as a church, we've got young people, you've got to pass that test. Is it worth serving God God's way? Or creating some way that's a little more pragmatic, that gets me what I want now. Yeah? We need to be like Joseph and say, you know what, I'm just going to trust God, and I'm going to serve the Lord, and I'm going to do what he wants, whether I'm in a pit, or I'm in a prison, or I'm falsely accused, or if people forget about me and don't appreciate my service, I'm going to serve God and serve people because that's what he wants me to do. Amen? So Joseph's vindication, look if you would very quickly, Genesis 41, verses 37 through 45. By the way, I don't believe everybody's vindication comes on earth. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, I love reading Hebrews 11, it's the hall of faith, right? And you have people like Rahab and people like Noah and people like that, but you also have people like Abel. Did Abel's vindication come on earth? He got murdered. The Bible says some were sawn asunder. Uh, some, you say, man, you're, you're depressing. I'm telling you. Do you think those people are happy today that they stayed faithful? Or do you think they wish they'd compromised and listened to the voices of opposition? People who've trusted God to the very end are glad today they did. Amen? So, here we go. Genesis chapter 30, uh, 41, verse 37. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck and made him to ride in, his, in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, Bow the knee. They told what before him? Bow the knee. Sounds like Joseph's being exalted. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephnath Paneah, and he gave him to wife Azanath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. In chapter 42, verses 5 and 6, the Bible says, And Joseph and the sons of Israel came to buy corn, among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan, and Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land, and Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. You know what it sounds to me like? 
what God originally said back when Joseph was 17 was still true. Joseph's vindication is not that he got a chain and got to ride in a chariot. That's not the point. Vindication was he trusted God, and it was proven God can always be trusted. God's word will always end up right. Truth always prevails. Amen? Joseph's vindication was, I believe God. The Bible says, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Meaning, if you'll keep trusting God, one day it will be proven God was worthy to be trusted. Joseph's prosperity, you know what happened. Uh, He says in chapter 45, we'll read a couple verses and we're done. In chapter 45 of Genesis, he says this, verses 3 through 8. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in which there shall neither be earring nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Do you know why I call this prosperity? Because this is exactly what God had planned to do with his life, and it's exactly what happened. God had a plan for Joseph's life. How did Joseph get from God's plan for his life being a vision to it being a reality? Don't miss the simplicity of this. One decision at a time, he chose to believe God's voice over every other. And one decision at a time, he ended up fulfilling God's original plan for his life. Now, there are other people who God's plan for their life got wrecked. You can read about a king named Jeroboam. God told Jeroboam, if you will obey me, I'll make you king and I'll make your sons kings and I'll give you a house like I've given to David. Mary, that promise to Jeroboam, the king of the ten tribes? Did Jeroboam ever get that? Why? Because he believed the voice of his own reasoning over the voice of God. He, God, God made Jeroboam a promise and Jeroboam didn't get that promise because he wouldn't believe what God said. So here tonight... I don't know what voices you're hearing, what you're dealing with. The Bible says in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Wouldn't you like to prosper at God's plan for your life? Then you've got to believe God's voice. Mm-hmm.